We are back with Andrea Young and Christopher Bruce, two coveted members of the ACLU of Georgia staff for our continued discussion um, and deep dive into just how SB202 is gonna impact the voter rights of Georgians. And the next um, point that I would love to cover and um, dive into and, and dissect with you is the fact that in this legislation, the state can take over local election boards and hire and fire local employees when an election result displeases a politician. Like it almost sounds like something out of a out of a TV show. <laughs> so I'm thankful that I have you both here with me now to describe and discuss the implications and, and or the mechanics of, of what's going on here. Uh, even more alarming, I would say it sounds more like out of a dictatorship. Um, right. <laughs> basically, when the dictator realizes he was voted out of office, well, they can just change the whole entire election altogether. Uh, very troubling to know that your state election board, a board that is put together by partisan individuals, can actually go into your local community where you have your local board of elections, people that the people that you voted for have put up and decided this is gonna be our representation of the community and run your uh, government for voting can be washed away at an instance because the state feels like it. So it's, it's more of a, we need to look at ourselves and say, where are we at within this uh, system of government? Are we here where we're okay with the state coming in and invalidating votes? hiring and firing people to run your local elections within your community. It's a very dangerous precedent that the Georgia legislature has done in Senate Bill 202 with ramifications that we'll be seeing for generations to come. Yeah, I mean, people have to remember that um, Senator Lindsey Graham and former President Trump called Brad Raffensperger to ask him essentially to find 12,000 more votes. Uh, Lindsey Graham actually asked Raffensperger if he couldn't throw out of uh, absentee votes, absentee mail, uh, mailed in votes uh, in counties that had a high rejection rate. I mean, so um, there was a lot of pressure on the Secretary of State to manipulate the election. Uh, to his credit, uh, he stood against that. Uh, this now gives uh, the State Board of Elections the opportunity uh, to then um, complain uh, and take over Fulton County uh, elections, to so take over Douglas County elections and say, you know, we don't like the way you're counting your ballots. And so we're going to take this over and we're going to count them. We actually see that happening right now in Arizona. So this is not an idle threat. This is not alarmism. Uh, this has to be seen in the context of, um, elements, you know, within um, Trump world that are still fighting, still, still working to, to undermine and overturn, uh, you know, the election of 2020. Um, so this is a deeply, deeply concerning provision and something that we're going to be working um, uh, very closely with local county boards of elections to help them resist uh, this kind of takeover uh, and to help, uh, you know, help them to, to um, protect the integrity uh, of the work that we're doing. I also have to say it's a tremendous insult to the um, citizens and community leaders in 159 counties 
um, that followed the rules, um, that uh, worked day and night in many cases uh, to make sure that you know we had a successful election in 2020. So I, I really, I really see it as um, um, you know a real, a real insult to these uh, public servants um, who are really helping to protect and defend uh, our democracy. And we're going to work very, very hard uh, as we have been uh, with these county boards of elections. Absolutely. And I feel the need to just reiterate once again that after the audits and after the scrutiny, because everybody, it was all eyes on Georgia. So there was scrutiny anyway. Yes. There was zero fraud found. Yes. So, yeah, so no, the, the election in the election in Fulton County where the election results were counted at State Farm Arena with uh, WSB Channel 2 filming the entire thing. So anything that you suggest may have happened uh, with the count in Fulton County was all recorded by an independent radio television station. Uh, and, and when these allegations have been made, they just rewind the tape and said, here it is. Um, this is what happened. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's deeply disturbing, deeply anti-democratic uh, and quite ironic, you know, for someone who talks about states' rights to talk about centralizing this kind of power uh, in, uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the state board of elections. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, so much highlighted there, so much insight there. And, and I'm thinking about just the on one hand, the celebration of resources being in place to, to that I'm glad we had them there. And then the outright assault on them, um, which brings me to the next point that I wanna cover speaking of resources and the assault on them is the state can put in jail citizens who offer food or water to voters standing in line for hours in the heat, which yeah. we can look back and recount in 2020 because I was one of them for the primary. I went in line for five hours in Cobb yeah. County. Mm -hmm. So, a, another restriction and another tactic here to talk yeah. about as a point. Yeah, and it, you know, again, the insensitivity to working Georgians because so many people, right. um, you know, take their lunch break to go vote. Uh, yes. So many people rush straight from work to, again, wait in line and go vote. Uh, and so that sort of insensitivity that people are, um, you, you know, people are having to make you know, almost heroic efforts to participate in the in the democratic process. And then their neighbors want to celebrate that and make sure that when you show up, you know, um, you've got water. I mean, there were there were um, vendors, you know, who would bring a uh, bring a food truck and like give away food, you know, because they were just so happy that we to celebrate our democracy and make it a festive. They didn't know how people voted. You know, they just really wanted to affirm, you know, that that we have this. My own grandmother um, used to set up a table with lemonade and cookies outside the um, the Perry County Courthouse in Marion, Alabama. Right. Um, and so this is just a natural impulse that people have. They want to be supportive. They want to they want to affirm that people are participating in the democratic process. Uh, and we got calls, you know, we got calls from people who were, you know, harassed and we got calls by people who wanted to know the rules. And so, again, I personally myself have been told I couldn't give water to people, you know, in line. And so, you know, it's not that this doesn't happen. I think Roger Bruce right now is uh, being investigated 
um, you know, because he was handing out water and, you know, maybe still had his tag on from the from the legislature. So it's important that, um, again, this thing of not of criminalizing an activity that um, that people do in order to help people vote without, you know, missing their lunch, without going, without fainting in the heat. Right. You know, uh, I remember talking to a gentleman who was 80 years old, you know, he was in line to vote. I mean, and, and, and so um, it just shows a, a complete disconnect uh, between what people actually go through to vote um, yes. and apparently what uh, the mindset of, of members in, in the legislature. It's, it's ins insensitive at best, and it's certainly meant to allow an atmosphere that's more intimidating uh, and less welcoming and supportive uh, at the polls. Absolutely. And, and this is def very definitely one of the measures that the a that the ACLU's lawsuit, along with Southern Poverty Law Center and NAACP Legal Defense Fund, uh, is absolutely challenging. Gotcha. And I'm thinking um, just now about the stories that we hear of around our state and throughout our state of when different, you know, elections or polling places, they don't, when they don't have power or they don't have air conditioning or they don't have, or their machines go down. And we, ha we have these stories where these counties on a county level or just at a literal uh, a place level, they need these resources that they don't have. Mm -hmm. um, which brings me to like another fascinating point with this last point that I want to talk to you both about is the state banning local counties, cities and towns from receiving private funding which is it's paid for things like generate generators and um during storms that we've witnessed on election day so thoughts and or any insight on that from either one of you guys for that this, this, <laughs> be chris i mean it is it's laughable it really is when it comes down to it what petty person was down there at the legislature because nobody really admits so what pieces they put into this bill or not who was like hmm I no longer want people to be able to donate to their government to make it easier for them to vote. Because I can tell you what, you can still donate to your local police department. You can give them the food, water, or anything else. <laughs> you can still donate to your local fire department. You can donate to your local school district. You can donate to so many other governmental entities. But when it comes to voting, for some reason is dangerous or actually they never really came up with an excuse. They said there was a parity between uh, Metro Atlanta counties giving out money and other counties not. One, it's up to the state to really fund these issues. So all of the unfunded mandates were happening with Senate Bill 202 that came from the state that was never asked for by the counties. The state should be funding it. And two, why are you telling local county governments what they can and cannot receive? And why are you telling local citizens who want to make their government better better literally because you could tax them more to make up for it but these people actually want to give money to make your elections easier i'm flabbergasted i just i really don't know there's really no answer to this and you highlighted an excellent point because it's like well for these places they can't get the resources from the state you know who are able up until this point to get it from elsewhere to now like have that be you know kind of cauterized off as well it's like you said, it's flabbergasting. 
Well, this is part of the rights playbook, right? To undermine uh, faith in government uh, is to starve government. So they've starved the IRS uh, so that, um, you know, they're wealth, some of the wealthiest Americans don't even pay the tax that they owe under the law. Um, they've starved public schools, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's been particularly a phenomenon since school, in, school integration. Uh, and so now they seem to be wanting to starve elections uh, because chaos and long lines will make it more difficult uh, for, you know, people of color, working class people uh, to cast uh, to cast their ballots. Um, and so this whole thing of starving government of resources, you know, is a right wing tactic uh, that's now been turned on our very democracy. Uh, and again, like so many aspects of this bill, it's sort of deeply disturbing. And so that's our, you know, that's our fight. Our fight is to protect and defend democracy uh, so that it's one person, one vote, so that leaders are chosen by the voters uh, rather than uh, elected officials and politicians manipulating the electorate um, for their own personal benefit. Uh, and that's, you know, and that's our charge. And and that's what uh, what we get up and do every day, even 7 a.m. the 7 a.m. in the morning when uh, members of the state <laughs> senate seem to like to have hearings on voting rights bills. Yep, Chris, you know a little bit about that, huh? Uh, I know a lot about it. <laughs> Hopefully, that's not going to happen again. But you know what? And I think it goes towards uh, the ACLU staff being willing and ready. There's a lot of people who are not on this uh, call right now, who stayed up late nights for preparing, uh, not just for Senate Bill 202, but a lot of the bills that the ACLU of Georgia led the way or worked on with other coalition partners to really defend your civil rights and civil liberties. So it doesn't matter, you call it at 7 a.m., 7 p.m., we're gonna be there and we're gonna fight. Be there and, and be there prepared. Be there prepared. More prepared than they are most of the time. <laughs> And so one of the, you know, one of the wins out of this session, you know, is Mm -hmm. that um, there was a bill to uh, criminalize some of the freedom of to to protest. Uh, And that was one of the bills that we were able to prevent uh, from being voted out of the Georgia legislature. That bill passed in Florida uh, and is probably still on the docket for some other places. Uh, And it's a bill we've had to work against every year. Um, so there are a lot of things, you know, you hear about it when, uh, and this bill even could have, would have been a lot worse uh, without the kind of relentless and persistent, um, you know, efforts of the ACLU and our allies and uh, working against these measures. Absolutely. And I can personally say that I'm grateful to, to be in this position because what we, we do is we highlight the issues in, in the Um, mechanics of things that impact all Georgians, regardless of whoever um, we are affiliated with. And to me, that's the real um, impactful work that I'm, and I'm grateful and thankful to be able to do that alongside the both of you. And I said it um, in our first part of the series, but I'll say it again, because it's worth mentioning again, is that what's happening here in Georgia is definitely contributing to a larger conversation about voter rights and the impact of this kind of legislation on the voter rights of all Americans. I mean, we do have some federal movement, as Andrea said, in the Senate, but I and I know that we want to speak about this as many uh, chances as we get, so I'll let you both Yes. Anything that you wanted to add? So there are two important pieces of legislation um, that are pending in the Senate, Senate Bill 1 
which would give sort of a standardization of access to voting by mail, um, you know, automatic voter registration, um, how, you know, standard number of days of early voting. Mm-hmm. Um, that bill is very important. That's Senate Bill One, uh, and then there's also Senate Bill Four, which uh, reestablishes the preclearance requirement that was under the original Voting Rights Act. Um, that's named the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Uh, and that's very important because you can't always anticipate some of the crazy stuff they come up with <laughs> to try to inhibit access to the ballot. Uh, and so you wanna be able to say, well, no one ever thought, you know, we didn't, we, we didn't see this one coming uh, and be able to challenge it um, in, through an administrative remedy uh, with the Justice Department, rather than having to go through the federal courts, which we're doing right now. Uh, and it would also prevent the bill from going into effect until there had been adequate review from the Justice Department, uh, if you're in a, a covered jurisdiction. And just our record of um, uh, of wins in terms of challenging in the federal courts uh, you know, actions in Georgia to make it more difficult to vote, uh, Georgia would definitely be a covered um, jurisdiction uh, under any new uh, reiteration of the Voting Rights Act. So people who have relatives, especially if you have them in West Virginia, Arizona, you know, a lot of, I mean, people really need to hear that we've got to have, uh, we've got to have voting rights legislation if we're gonna protect our democracy. Thank you both, I was gonna say, and I say it every time and I'll say it again. It's a treat because with this, what conversations like these do is it it brings what can be a lot of intimidating information to some down to a digestible and conversational level. So thank you both for taking the time to sit down with me. Again, I know our supporters appreciate it, our listeners appreciate it. And as the work continues, I look forward to having more discussions like this um, and beyond, like I said, when it's in terms of transformative justice, we're at this point in the journey. So I look forward to speaking as we move forward and see how we come out in victory on the other side. So thanks again, guys. Okay. Thank you so hey, much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for all that you did too. All right, friends, that takes care of another episode. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the work we do here at the ACLU of Georgia, visit aclugA.org. And to keep up with our latest work and to find ways that you can take action, be sure to follow us across social media at ACLU of GA. And last, but certainly not least, be sure to follow, like, or subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Just give ACLU of Georgia a search. Until next time, this is your host, Kenyatta, reminding you to listen like your rights depend on it.